Welcome to our podcast. I am Linda Messer. My husband Ron and I invite you to join us in our weekly broadcast of A New Voice of Freedom. Welcome to Season 4 of A New Voice of Freedom. The podcasts are taken from the four volumes In Defense of Christianity, written by Ronald Keith Messer. This podcast is part of a series we call Poets Corner. This session is from Book 12, Part 43 of Milton's Paradise Lost. Podcast 71 is entitled Expelled from Eden, Part 3. In the prologue to Book 12, Milton writes, The angel Michael continues from the flood to relate what shall succeed. Then, in the mention of Abraham, comes by degrees to explain who that seed of the woman shall be, which was promised Adam and Eve in the fall. This incarnation, death, resurrection, and ascension, the state of the church till his second coming. Adam, greatly satisfied and recomforted by these revelations and promises, descends the hill with Michael, wakens Eve, who all this while had slept, but with gentle dreams composed to quietness of mind and submission. Michael, in either hand, leads them out of paradise, the fiery sword waving behind them, and the cherubim taking their stations to guard the place. In the previous podcast, Michael showed Adam the weakness that brought about the flood. He also showed Michael that the seed of Noah would also eventually become very wicked. Therefore, the Lord chose Abraham as the patriarch through whom all the children of the earth would be blessed. Michael finished speaking, and Adam speaks. Here Adam interposed. O sent from heaven, enlightener of my darkness, gracious things thou hast revealed, those chiefly which concern just Abraham and his seed. Now first I find mine eyes true opening, and my heart much ease, erewhile perplexed with thoughts what would become of me and all mankind. But now I see his day, in whom all nations shall be blessed, Favor unmerited by me who sought forbidden knowledge by forbidden means. This yet I apprehend not. Why to those among whom God will design to dwell on earth, so many and so various laws are given. So many laws argue so many sins among them. How can God with such reside? Adam, conscious of his role in bringing evil into the world, asked Michael how God can reside with man when they become so sinful. Michael explains that man was given laws or commandments to reveal their natural depravity. Without law, there is no sin. In other words, sin is violation of law. Man can only recognize sin through law. However, man does not have the power of the atonement. The blood of bulls and goats is insufficient. More precious blood must be paid, meaning, of course, Jesus Christ, the just for the unjust. However, they can only recognize Christ through faith. Only through Christ can they find peace of conscience. Ceremonial law is insufficient. Also, imperfect man cannot atone for his own sins. Doubt not, but that sin will reign among them as of the begot. And therefore was law given them to invince their natural provide by stirring up sin against law to fight. That when they see law can discover sin, but not remove save by those shadowy expiations weak, 
the blood of bulls and goats, they may conclude some blood more precious must be paid for man. Just for unjust, that in such righteousness to them by faith imputed, they may find justification toward God and peace of conscience, which the law of ceremonies cannot appease, nor man the moral part perform, and not performing cannot live. Only through Christ can mankind be justified. The purpose of the Mosaic Law is to prepare them to believe in the Savior. The Mosaic Law is a type and shadow of things to come, what Milton calls from imposition of strict laws to free acceptance of large grace. He tells Adam that only faith in Christ can save them, not works. They must make a higher covenant than the covenant of the law of Moses. The higher covenant requires even greater discipline. The Mosaic law is a type and shadow of Christ. In the fullness of time, or when Christ comes, they will have the full truth. From flesh to spirit means that when Christ comes, animal sacrifice will no longer be needed because Christ will atone for the sins of the entire world. They will have the Holy Ghost and will be required to live a higher law. They will be freed from the imposition of the strict laws of Moses and accept free grace. Rather than fear, they will understand love. Rather than works of the strict Mosaic law, they will live by faith. So law appears imperfect and but given with purpose to resign them in full time up to a better covenant, disciplined from shadowy types to truth, from flesh to spirit from imposition to strict laws, to free acceptance of large grace, from servile fear to filial, works of law to works of faith. They will move from the imperfect or incomplete law of Moses to the perfect laws of the new covenant. Michael explains that Moses, though highly beloved of God, shall not lead the children of Israel into the promised land. The responsibility will be given to Joshua to lead the children of Israel into Canaan. Milton compares the journey of the children of Israel through the desert to the trials of the world. He compares the promised land to the paradise of God, where they will have eternal rest. And therefore shall not Moses, though of God highly beloved, being but a minister of law, his people into Canaan lead. But Joshua, whom the Gentiles Jesus call, his name and office bearing, who shall quell the adversary serpent, and bring back through the world's wilderness long-wandered man safe to eternal paradise of rest. Before inheriting the paradise of God, they will dwell a long time in the land of Canaan. They will prosper until sin interrupts their peace. It is sin that provokes God to allow their enemies power over them. As long as they repent, God will deliver them from their enemies. First, they have judges, which was God's plan. However, after many years, they rejected the judges and demanded a king. From the second king, meaning King David, through David's seed will come the Savior, Jesus Christ, that his regal throne forever shall endure. David will prophesy of Christ. The king shall end, but the royal stock of David shall produce a son, meaning Jesus Christ, from the Virgin Mary, as foretold by Abraham. Of Christ's kingdom, there shall be no end. Meanwhile, they in their earthly Canaan place long time shall dwell and prosper. But when sins national interrupt their public peace, provoking God to raise them enemies, from whom as oft he saves them penitent by judges first, 
then under kings, of whom the second, both for piety renowned and puissant deeds, a promise shall receive irrevocable, that his regal throne for ever shall endure. The like shall sing all prophecy, that of the royal stock of David, so I name this king, shall rise a son, the woman's seed to thee foretold. Foretold to Abraham, as in whom shall trust all nations, and to kings foretold, of kings the last, for of his reign shall be no end. From David to the birth of Christ shall be a long succession. David's son, however, meaning King Solomon, will be known for his wealth and wisdom. Meanwhile, the Ark of the Covenant shall be kept in a tent as they wander in the wilderness. Michael prophesies that the children of Israel will turn to idolatry, causing God to turn his back on them. They will lose everything, the holy city and the temple, and shall be carried away into Babylon. But first a long succession must ensue, and his next son for wealth and wisdom famed. The clouded ark of God, till then intense wandering, shall in a glorious temple enshrine. Such follow him as shall be registered part good, part bad, of bad the longer scroll, whose foul idolatries and other faults heap to the popular sum, will so incense God as to leave them and expose their land. Their city, his temple, and his holy ark with all his sacred things a scorn and prey to that proud city, whose high walls thou sawst left in confusion, Babylon thence called. They will be kept in captivity for seventy years, and then be brought back to the Holy Land. Christ will remember his promise of mercy. For a while they will again dwell in Jerusalem, but as they grow in wealth, they become divided. Dissension grows among the priests. Rather than bring peace, the quarreling priests bring pollution upon the temple itself. The priests disregard David's posterity. Therefore, they lose the temple to strangers, causing the anointed king Messiah to be barred of his right. In other words, had their apostasy not occurred, Jesus would have been the rightful king of Israel at his birth, because he was born of the royal line of David. There in captivity he lets them dwell the space of seventy years, then brings them back, remembering mercy and his covenant sworn to David established as the days of heaven. Returned from Babylon by leave of kings their lords, whom God disposed, the house of gods they first re-edify, and for a while in mean estate live moderate, till grown in wealth and multitude, factious they grow. But first among the priests dissension springs, men who attend the altar, and should most endeavor peace, their strife pollution brings upon the temple itself. At last they seize the scepter, and regard not David's son, then lose it to a stranger, that the true anointed King Messiah might be born, barred from his right. At the birth of Christ, a star will appear never seen before. The star will guide the wise men to Bethlehem, where they will offer gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The angels will announce the birth of Christ to shepherds, Great hosts of heavenly angels sing. The Virgin Mary is the mother of Christ, but his father is the power of the Most High. Christ shall be the hereditary king of Israel, but his boundaries extend to all the children of God. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but 
that the world through him might be saved. Yet at his birth a star, unseen before in heaven, proclaimed him come, and guides the eastern sages, who inquire his place to offer incense, myrrh, and gold. His place of birth, a solemn angel tells, to simple shepherds, keeping watch by night. They gladly thither haste, and by a choir of squadroned angels hear his carol sung. A virgin is his mother, but his sire the power of the Most High. He shall ascend the throne hereditary, and bound his reign with earth's wide bounds, his glory with the heavens. Michael, since in Adam's great joy, ceased prophesying. Adam's joy now exceeds the tears of grief that he had shed before. He ceased discerning Adam with such joy surged, as had like grief been dewed in tears, without the vent of words which these he breathed. Adam exclaims, O prophet of glad tidings, finisher of utmost hope. For the first time, Adam understands the necessity of the fall and the role of Christ in redeeming mankind. He is overjoyed. He praises the Virgin Mary and rejoices that through his loins shall come the Son of the Most High God. God unites with man, and there the prophecy will be fulfilled that the serpent's head shall be bruised, though the serpent shall bruise his offspring's heel. O prophet of glad tidings, finisher of utmost hope, now clear I understand what oft my steadiest thoughts have searched in vain. Why our great expectation should be called the seed of woman, virgin mother, hail, high in the love of heaven, yet from my loins thou shalt proceed, and from thy womb the Son of God most high. So God with man unites. Needs must the serpent now his capital bruise except with mortal pain. Say where and when their fight. What stroke shall bruise the victor's heel? Michael tells Adam not to think of their fight as a duel. Satan is not as powerful as Christ. The only way man can successfully conquer Satan is to obey the commandments of God. It is God, not man, who bruises Satan's head. Rather than focusing on fighting against Satan, Focus on the commandments. Only through keeping the commandments of God can justice be satisfied and man be saved. The penalty for disobeying the commandments of God is spiritual death. Dream not of their fight as of a duel or the local wounds of head or heel. Not, therefore, joins the son manhood to Godhead with more strength to foil the enemy. Not so is overcome Satan, whose fall from heaven a deadlier bruise, disabled not to give thee thy death wound, which he who comes thy Savior shall recure, not by destroying Satan, but his works in thee and in thy seed. Nor can this be but by fulfilling that which thou didst want, obedience to the law of God imposed on penalty of death, and suffering death the penalty to thy transgression due and due to theirs which out of thine will grow, so only can high justice rest apaid. Christ shall with exactness fulfill all the commandments of God. That is the source of his perfection. Only through perfect obedience to law can Christ be our Savior. However, it is only because of love that he chooses to be our Savior. Because of perfect love he will endure coming in the flesh, 
and the pains of life and the curse of death. Christ proclaims life to everyone who believes in his redemption. It is by faith in Christ that we are saved. It is the merits of Christ that saves us, not our own and not our works. The law of God exact he shall fulfill by both obedience and by love. Through love alone fulfilled the law. Thy punishment he shall endure by coming in the flesh to a reproachful life and cursed death. Proclaiming life to all who shall believe in his redemption and that his obedience imputed becomes theirs by faith, his merits to save them, not their own, though legal works. Because of Christ's love for us all, he will endure the hatred, the blaspheming, the imprisonment, the false judgment, and the condemnation of death by his own people. For this he shall live hated, be blasphemed, seized on by force, judged, and to death condemned a shameful and accursed, nailed to the cross by his own nation, slain for bringing life. Christ dies on the cross for our sins. He is resurrected. Death has no more power over him. He shall return out of his grave fresh as the dawn in light. He paid the ransom and redeemed man from the fall. By faith we are saved, not void of works, which reminds us of the words of James. Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. But to the cross he nails thy enemies, the law that is against thee, and the sins of all mankind. With him they are crucified, never to hurt them more, who rightly trust in this his satisfaction. So he dies but soon revive. Death over him no power shall long usurp, ere the third dawning light return. The stars of morn shall see him rise out of his grave. Fresh is the dawning light, thy ransom paid, which man from death redeems, his death for man. As many as offered life neglect not, and the benefit embrace by faith not void of work. Christ's atonement satisfies the law of justice, otherwise we would have been cut off from the presence of God forever, suffering a spiritual death as well as a physical death. Christ shall bruise Satan's head and crush his strength, overcoming sin and death. This godlike act annuls thy doom, the death thou shouldest have died, in sin forever lost from life. This act shall bruise the head of Satan crush his strength, defeating sin and death. His two main arms and fix far deeper in his head their stings. Then temporal death shall bruise the victor's heel. Of theirs whom he redeems, a death-like sleep, a gentle wafting to immortal life. Only through Christ can we be forgiven of our sins. We are reminded of the words of Paul. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Only through Christ can we be forgiven of our sins and gain eternal life. Milton ends with a beautiful poetic image, a gentle waft into immortal life.
Thank you for listening. Watch for our next podcast.